0: You know, back in the mid-90s, I was forced to carry around my swaggy stems and seeds in the Ziploc bag... And if I wanted a pop brownie, the best I could do is maybe put that sucker in tin foil and hope that it just wouldn't disintegrate and fall apart. It's 2018. I don't have to do that anymore because we're very happy to be sponsored by Kushco. Have you seen the amazing containers that cannabis and hemp products come in these days? No longer have to suffer with poor containers and poor baggies and any of that old stuff. Plus, they have to comply to strict guidelines so the child childproof and all
1: that so kush co holdings is a publicly traded company under the ticker kshb and the parent to very innovative cannabis industry leaders such as kush supply co kush energy the hybrid creative and coletto packaging solutions kush co holdings has now sold more than 1 billion units and sells to more than 5,000 legally operated medical and adult use dispensaries, growers, and producers all across North America, South America, and Europe. The
0: days when you had to have that little wooden dugout for your one hitter are over. Go to slash
1: podcast to learn more. And now let's go beyond the pond.
2: Throw another all of that time, all of that time, all of that time. Go I know it sucks to daddy's dumb, but try to think of what you want. You got to open up your open up your open up your thumb. Open up your open up yeah, 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 open up your thumb, open up your
0: open up Hey folks. I'm David Goldstein. Now I am Brian Brinkman. You are tuned into episode 53 of the Beyond the Pond podcast. This is the podcast in which Brian and myself generally use the music of fish as a means of introducing the listener to other bands. These are usually non jam bands because we love fish. We are fish fans. The problem with fish is. Sometimes listeners only listen to fish. They get a bit myopic. They can repeat and memorize set lists and names and lyrics and everything in between, but forget that there's a whole other world of bands out there just waiting for their ear holes. And we are going to do something about that.
1: We certainly are, especially as we are entering. 2019 festival announcement season and uh we are just bombarded with fans who say i only know two bands at this major music festival come on guys come on we are back and we are back with a vengeance here in 2019 isn't that right david
0: oh such a vengeance many good things lined up none of which include uh, Post Malone and Hozier headlining One Night at Bonnaroo.
1: <laughs> this is true.
0: Which he's right. No, there are lots of... That came out today. There's lots of fantastic bands in uh, the Bonnaroo undercards, um, many of whom we have discussed on this show. I just spent most of the day being confused because Hosier had that one like adult contemporary hit like four years ago. Mm-hmm. Has he done more stuff If there's like any hosier truthers out there that are fans let us know because i'm kind of curious i mean
1: yeah i'm not aware of anything new that he's done since what was that 2014 2014
0: 2015 what was that take me to church take me to church
1: mom you know as you guys, as you guys can tell, we are off to the races here in twenty twenty nineteen. Um, for those of you joining us here for the first time, we are going to be breaking down um, a couple fish jams here from the MSG Run. What we do here is we take fish jams, we spin them off into something new. Um, we talk a bit about uh, other bands, other musicians that we think you will enjoy if you enjoy said fish jam that we're discussing. And today we have a very, very special episode. I think we're going to keep the big surprise of it under wraps, but we are doing something uh, that we have never, ever done before. Uh, we were a bit nervous about it. We were a bit apprehensive to do it, but I think in the end we're excited about what's coming uh, down here. Right, right, Dave? What are we talking? What are the themes of, uh, today?
0: Themes. The happiest jam in all 3.0? Trade Channel's Jerry. And just what the hell happened at MSG this year? And on that note, let us take you to church and get to the fish.
1: Alright guys, I hope you all had a wonderful holiday season and a wonderful New Year's Eve, capping off the year 2018. Whatever it was that you did, if you were at Fish, if you were at Umphreys, if you were at some other show, if you were webcasting at home, if you were doing nothing of the above, of the above, we hope that you had a wonderful end to the year. And a great start here to 2019. We are excited to be back, as we noted at the top of the episode. And uh, We are going to talk about two fish jams from Fish's fantastic 2019 New Year's Eve run, excuse me, 2018 New Year's Eve run at uh, Madison Square Garden, uh, one of which is going to be the Tweezer from December 29th, and the other is going to be the Seven Below from December 31st. And so this tweezer, uh, just want to begin with a question and my opinion on this. I know that we both differ. Um, David, was this the happiest jam of 3.0 or at least the happiest since the down with disease?
0: I would say that it's the most joyous jam of 3.0 since the down with disease, maybe even more so. Uh, it's certainly an argument you can have. But the build, the peak, uh, the feeling, I mean, however brief, that you could actually be experiencing a Blazing Grateful Dead show from 1977. So I was (laughs) not at the... um, I was not at Reading. I've since listened to that down at disease probably about 87 times since, just because that sounds like the Allman Brothers running down a mountain. Um, Right. Yeah, but just for pure straight up deady joy. I was doing calisthenics during this jam. I was doing arm circles. I was jumping up and down and screaming.
1: It was something to behold. So I go with the Hampton simple on this. I think it's uh, just a a notch more joyous, but I have a great and deep love for this jam. Um, You know, it was fun for me to be webcasting this and Texting with you while you were not doing calisthenics, because um, it was just one of those jams where, like, I don't think we had really many coherent thoughts during it. Just like, oh my god, oh my god, holy shit! Like, it was just one of those fantastic. It reminded me in a lot of cases of the um, uh, the the Choctus torture from July twenty eighth, two thousand seventeen, Double Chocolate Night, that also had um, that very deady China rider feel to it that uh, that I just absolutely. Loved.
0: Even the Choctaw's torture from last year, uh, December 29, 2017, with the Simon yes. and Garfunkel kind of homer bound that had a similar feel. Uh, I don't think Trey was really consciously trying to play the transition jam from China Cat, Sunflower and into I Know You, Rider, but it was the same key, the same chord progression, kind of the same melodic licks. And then once he got a head full of steam towards the end, Look the fuck out! Like Trey's not dumb. I mean, surely he's had a religious experience or two, to a hot China Rider jam once or twice in his UVN dorm room, and you know he he just felt like sharing the wealth. You know he was absolutely he loves the dead. He was incredibly good at fairly well, and he kind of hit on a theme and said, "Let's let's dead it up."
1: Yeah, we've had a lot of these uh, China Rider type jams in the last two or three years, especially like Baker's does, and I feel like where 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 the big um thematic approach to jamming was that building melodic peak um you definitely had a lot of jams in this vein and this one i i want to say did the best job of it um probably the only other competition for as high quality as close to the dead was that double chocolate chalk dust but um this
0: one felt earned you know it was a very gradual peak that felt earned plus um for historic reference, Paige was kind of playing the Fender Rhodes most of the time, which is what um, like Keith Godshow did in 1974 during "Like China Riders. It was... I mean, I even texted one of my friends who's a very big deadhead during that. I just said, China Rider transition. And he wrote back in big letters, yes. So
1: it wasn't <laughs> just me.
0: Was other people heard it, certainly.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's been all over Twitter and the uh, it's been one of... I would say three big topics from uh, from MSG all over Twitter in the weeks since then. One of which we we will go over here here shortly. But um, the other cool thing about this Tweezer Jam was the segue into "Death Don't Hurt." Very long is so smooth and so so thematic. And um, the segment that follows it is just kind of bonus fish. But like, I'll. I'll take a sandwich 32-ish minute tweezer with a Death Don't Hurt Very Long in the middle of it. It, it, It's really cool to me. Um, You know, there's these Kazvot Vox songs, and we'll get to a lot of these. They they were played so well during the MSG run. Um, I had really envisioned a lot of them coming out of jams like this Death Don't Hurt Very Long did. A lot of them kind of started with a cold start, um, which they were still great. Um, I thought it was so cool to see how One of the songs from the E rock album is already so well ingrained in Fish's DNA that they can just segue in and out of it uh, from their greatest jam vehicle of all time. Funk for the people, Bob Weaver. Funk for the people. (laughs) Um, And of note, you know, it's it's got to be noted. I was I was as we were preparing for this, I was kind of thinking about how how sneaky great of a year Tweezer has had in 2018. Um, Six of eight versions were legitimately great. Uh, Atlanta, August 3rd, Dix, September 2nd, Hampton, October 20th, really, really happy, blissful Saturday night version. Uh, Chicago, October 26th, with a kind of party time theme jam. Um, 1031 was a really good one as a pretty good third set to kick it off until it gets pretty standard. And then, of course, 1229. And, uh, you know, following... Somewhat off years in 2016 and 2017 has felt like the best year for Tweezer since definitely 2015 and up there with 2015, 2013, and yes, 2009. Excellent year for Tweezer. Uh, those I would say are the best Tweezer years of 3.0.
0: And about that seven below that they played on 12:31 in the second set.
1: Who man! Oh man! Oh man! What a version. Fascinating jam. Yeah, it begins in total bliss, uh, not dissimilar to the um, December 30th, 2016 Ghost, and is vaguely familiar to um, the wheel, albeit it's not in the key of C. And then rather than building into a peaking bliss jam, as you would kind of imagine a lot of these 3.0 jams do, or late 3.0 jams do, it moves into this very funky, sick dance beat that almost sounds like it comes out of summer 98. Like legitimately, it's about as sick and sleek and funky as I've heard Fish sound almost 20 years. It's unbelievable. There's a part
0: in the Seven Below where he's basically playing like the Revelations, like Book of Revelations part of Petrichor, but actually singing the lyrics, which is for the best. You can, over one of the jams, you can clearly sing... (laughs) <laughs> I'm
1: glad he doesn't On sing that
0: no way hard. back home at last.
1: <laughs> <No>. <laughs> um, I mean, I would rank this seven below is, is excellent. It's a top-notch jam. It's one of the best jams of the year. It's up there with the light for me as my two favorite jams of the whole run. I would put this up there with uh, February 20th. Oh, three, July 13th. Oh, three. June 20th, 04, June 25th, 04, uh, November 28th, 09 and August 2nd, 2013 for the absolute best versions I've ever been played. And I would say that this is a top three, seven below with um, 220.03 and 625.04. Uh, just really, really interesting jamming, really shows the potential and diversity of that song. Um, a song that has really become rare here in um, uh I think 2015 to 2018, we've only had a handful of versions. Um, I would really love to see this song come in the rotation as a major jam vehicle in 2019 and hopefully 2020.
0: One day, I'm going to go back to all the episodes and make a note of every time we mention August 2nd, 2013, because for a show <laughs> that I don't think a lot of people are that familiar with, we talk about it a lot because it's great. That Bill Graham show, it's like
1: sneaky awesome. It is. It was uh, the show right after the Tahoe Tweezer, and you could just tell the band had a head full of steam at that point in time. Um,
0: Super high tempos. Very very fastest version. The still the best version of Stealing Time from the Faulty Plan they've ever played. Whatever that's worth. Yeah.
1: No. No. It's a it's a great version. Um, Walls of the Cave encore. I mean, it's it's really packed as well. Full of highlights. There's not really a breather song throughout the entire show, and there's a ton of uh, if not bust outs, at least rare tunes that kind of keep things fresh. It it reminds me in some cases of the um, just from one summer prior the st louis show from august 28th 2012 that the first set just has a bunch of rare songs that you don't typically get together and the second set has a ton of really cool mini jam vehicles that uh, really preceded what they were doing at dick so um but yeah that august 2nd 2013 show highly recommend it we'll have to find something to talk about from there because we we both love that show
0: that was also uh the first and only time i had dinner at blue hill at stone barns so that was an incredible meal and a very good show.
1: I was in, I was, uh, I was at the Tsukiji fish market in Tokyo on August 2nd, 2013. So clearly we were both helping to inspire some phenomenal fish through our own, uh, culinary endeavors. So kind of talking about the, uh, the, the MSG run here in whole. In uh, so taking this show by show. So December 28th, um, this was kind of, I would say this was the weakest opening night of a New Year's run since 2013. Um, it's a better show overall than that, but we've really seen some good 1228s and uh, it was just opening nights of the New Year's Eve runs since then. Um, I would say it's it's more in line with 1228 2012, though. I think we would both be in agreement. Nothing really touches that tweezer. Um, or like 12, 28, 20, 11, just in the sense that it's not a total dud, but I definitely walked away from that show being like, okay, are they really coming to be, coming to play here over Madison over uh, New Year's Eve?
0: Yeah. I mean this show, the first set, solid meat. Good version of ghost gives you uh, the C major Blissies. The meat is at least worthy of the delicious daily bird you can get at Madison Square Garden. The first swept away in steep I've heard in person since uh, New Year's 1996. That was kind of neat. But Fuego, through the end of the show, with the exception of kind of a B- bathtub gin, felt a bit unnecessary. I know we've said many times that just playing Fuego in the middle of the second set is kind of the fishy equivalent of a white flag. Yeah. So
1: the Song's batting like 150 at this point in time.
0: Yeah. This was a warm-up show. Little else. I mean, any show that's got you've got a first set with Axela, Free, Wedge, Sparkle—they're just shaking off some rust. I mean, no one's going to complain about checking if I could off of their stat list, and it seemed like they had very much rehearsed that song. But it's a little telling when the two best songs in the evening are easily the two Caswell Vox songs, which they really love to play. It was great to hear them out of the context of uh, the original Caswell Vox show. And what else? Set your soul free. I've said it before. I don't dislike the song. It's a good song, but it would make a much better Tedeschi Trucks Band song. Seriously, I mean, Fish should just somehow barter a trade where Susan Tedeschi gets to sing that song every night, and Fish gets in trade one of like the conga players from Tedeschi Trucks Band. I don't know. I just think that would be better. But yeah, I mean this was Friday night was one of those shows where you kind of think to yourself for a split second, maybe I want to sell my Sunday night tickets and catch up on Netflix. I could be tired by then. I don't know. Lack the single transcendent moment that every other night had, but as you'll see, that's okay.
1: Right. And I thought, um, kind of my two biggest positive takeaways from it. Um, I think that they really set the theme of the run with a focus on new songs. Um, I don't have it right in front of me, but someone tweeted, I think on New Year's Day, that you know there was no Reba, there was no David Bowie, there was no You Enjoy Myself no Stash. Um, I'm no, I'm I, there was no Fluffhead, obviously. Um, there was no Number Line. I, I know I'm blanking on this. A Number Line's not up there with those songs in terms of like classic fish, but you know my no, but shocking it wasn't played. That's yeah, exactly. How think about it. I mean, that was the kind thing. of incredible. They didn't play
0: number line in the New Year's run.
1: I know, and and they they for they 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 decided to skip a lot of big big fish songs that we typically see in these big spots. Um, they 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 skipped all these for new songs, and they they jammed on new songs, and that was a huge approach to this run that I loved. Um, you had we are come to outlive our brains as the opener. The final hurrah both of those songs having huge jams or you know not type two jams but like they definitely went further than they they did in their debut um and i personally i really like this set Your Soul free i would put it as the um uh kind of the third best of the year second or third best of the year alongside of um uh the san francisco version which i think is by far the best and the dicks version which i thought was quite good um But yeah, warm-up show. So, Saturday night, December 29th. This is just a classic Great Fish show. Great song selection, killer jams, loads of energy, confident playing, even from the couch. You just knew that this show fucking owned. I loved, loved following this show from the couch. What were your thoughts on it?
0: Well, for someone who was there, words can't describe the difference in opening energy between 28th and 29th. I mean, bam, bam, bam. Buried Alive, Blaze On, Turtle in the Clouds with the choreographed jam. I mean, there was a... I can't ever recall hearing a reception for, like, a new song like you got for Turtle in the Clouds. Once that started up, I mean, it was one of those big band powwows where they go back and forth for like you know three to four minutes and usually ends up being like stash or the line but once it was turtle in the clouds people lost it and especially at the house party line so yeah three songs into the night and it was already better than december 28th
1: yeah and i definitely got that impression from the couch that these caswell Vox songs are like The reception that the fan base gave to the band when they started these songs up, I really have to wonder what it's like to be the band on stage playing, you know, new songs over the last three or four years. And they get, you know, kind of tepid reception sometimes. Sometimes people like them more than others. But I've never heard debuts, aside from maybe some of the summer 2015 songs that just got the amount of energy and feedback from the crowd. Immediately in their second performances like these did. So really, really awesome stuff. Yeah. Um, you get Sloth and Karina, Great Rarities, 46 Days, proves to be a phenomenal jam and a really high quality year for the song. Uh, check out July 24th, July 31st, August 11th, September 2nd, and November 3rd for other great versions. And um, a really outstanding Wolfman's brother uh, to cap off a set in yet another high quality year for the song. I I would say you definitely felt this way in the early part of 3.0. It may still be true just because of how many great versions were played during that era. Uh, This might be the most solid song of 3.0 just delivers. It seems like every year and every time. Um, Midway through, there is a bit of a debate going around our scene. Uh, (laughs) Trey started singing party time over a, kind of New Orleans jazzy beat that Fishman was laying down in some funk grooves um, very reminiscent of the December 30th 2016 light that also ended up in something of a party time groove what do we think Dave? was this party time? Is this a party time jam? was it a party time tease? was it a party time quote? it's a wolf man's party <laughs>
0: um I would classify this as Wolfman's brother with Party Time quotes I always in order to have a standalone Party Time you gotta have the drum lead in then the organs then the riff and then Party Time so while I think I had to go back and listen to it again but I think while ultimately Trey may have played the Party Time riff in kind of the slow Wolfman's funk style it definitely never had the Fishman drum shuffle, right? So, yeah, I think it's fine to list as Wolfman's brother Asterix with party time quotes. Others may feel differently. That's fine.
1: May feel different, and you are wrong. Um, <laughs> 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 Set to, but uh, it was awesome. <laughs> oh, it was awesome! It kicked ass, it man. Great. I would, I would have that happen every show if I could. It was so much fun. Um, but it wasn't party time. Um, <laughs> set two is excellent even if it's kicked off by a really head scratching rip corded version of Karini that it was really interesting to see I don't know what it was like around you in the show but um, there was kind of a nosedive on Twitter they were in a great jam spot during Karini and Trey just straight up was like ah, "I just want to play tweezer now and yeah um, it was it was like a buyer's
0: remorse Karini Right. I kind of <laughs> groaned when Carini started the second set because Carini's second set openers, are the new Down with Disease openers, in the second set, and that they just do it too goddamn much. But the, yeah, they got to an A major jam really quickly, and then Trey exited it even quicker than he got to it. And I think Carini, front to back, was like seven minutes. Yeah. I think he was, yeah, just he run really, right into it. like we said. He's like, he said, oh, I made a mistake. All right, that's fine. Let's play Tweezer.
1: Right, and the Tweezer got into, you know, we've talked about it here, that Tweezer, death don't hurt very long. Tweezer, excellent, amazing jam section. Um, No quarter, really solid in the ballad slot. I mean, we need a ballad at some point in the set, usually. Why not make it an evil ballad? I'm really into that. And then the uh, second set closes out with a very, very enjoyable 2001 and a uh, just rocking. Ten, Ten minutes. minutes. Great tone from Trey. Great dance seats. It was great. Uh, and then first tube, which just rocks. I mean, there's no time you'll ever see Fish play first tube that anybody in the crowd is going to be complaining. Everybody loves it.
0: And then to the encore was Shine a Reprise, which, fine. That's good. Yeah. A friend of mine... Um, my friend Conrad Doucette, who is a huge, huge, very knowledgeable deadhead, actually may be on the podcast sooner than later, uh, this was his first fish show in 24 years, texted me that it was, quote, fucking insane. He's not wrong. <laughs> this is a phenomenal show, top to bottom. There is nothing to dislike about the show.
1: Definitely a show you want to go to uh, after Miss Not on the Band for a quarter of a century. It will really just ignite a, a, an obsession. Um, yeah yeah in this show I mean we'll talk about it here in a second but um, I definitely felt the entire day of 1230 that there's just no way that they're topping 1229 and I was really satisfied um, I felt like they had just played the best show of the run one of the best shows of the year and if I'd been at the show I mean I think I texted you the morning after um, you know because we just as, as many remember we released our top 10 fish shows of all time and it's been funny for me because we recorded that before I went to Vegas and after being in Vegas, 11-2 would certainly be in one of my top 10 shows of all time and perhaps 11-1 or 11-3 could find a slot in there as well, but definitely 11-2 and I asked you if that show screwed up your top 10 and you said it probably did as well, so Crowley um, definitely felt like it was it was an excellent, excellent show. I was I was very pleased.
0: So now, December 30th, the night before the night, and coming off of an incredible 1229. December 30th is a fascinating show. Yeah. I mean, just look at that set list. Are you not <laughs> entertained? <laughs> Fish play I mean, two second sets.
1: Yeah. I mean, they combine a bust out show with a kind of Seekfest show with a. New song show all in one on December 30th of all nights. Um, you've got alumni, letter Jimmy Page, alumni to kick off the show in epic fashion. albeit at uh, in a uh, dead and company speed.
0: <laughs> yeah. Dead and Co. that's all right.
1: Um, this was the first time it opened a show since Ju- July 4th, 2012. Uh, Glide 2 and Bliss represent the Billy Breeze bust out rarities segment that just blew everybody's mind both at home and uh and and in the stadium one of my best friends uh John McGarr texted me during bliss just saying what am I seeing right now (laughs) like and you know he's type of guy who's been to 75 shows somewhere somewhere in that range been seeing the band this was actually his 20th anniversary show his first show was december 30th 1998 knew exactly what songs they were but just like what show have i walked into tonight
0: <laughs> mike's song glide to we could in the cross side because let's get weird
1: yeah this was reminiscent of the uh august 31st Ghost to cross side segment from dick's everybody loves so much and then tube week into tube it's just added into the total joy of the set in just such a ridiculous manner i remember at one point just kind of falling over laughing i was just having so much fun watching this from my couch um kind of show that like my wife and i are high-fiving each other and like both have shitty grins and you know we're sitting just in our living room like i just i love that about this whole experience I think I
0: tweeted that the set looks like it was composed by freshman stoners at 1 a.m. at Liberal Arts College in the late 90s after bong rips. And this is just... (laughs) This is what you sit with your buddies and say, Dude, what if they played Glide 2 into Weakapog and cross Eye? No, that'll never happen. (laughs) I mean, great segues, tons of setless stat horn, and I mean, also... Don't sing that "No Man or No Man's Land." That's a joyous no. version of the song. It's, it's almost like a week-a-pock jam at the end. Like I was jumping up and down and shouting.
1: So, in terms of set two, I would say unquestionably. I think this is a perfect second set. What say you?
0: Perfect second set. What I really love about the second set is that they brought huge jams out of like newer songs that wouldn't necessarily like I guess going back to the theme earlier is that you know there was no You Enjoy Myself no Reba no Bowie instead they rendered huge classic jams out of Everything's Right and Light and I mean they opened the set with a Castle Vox song very well placed Waiting in the Velvet Sea and now uh, I think essentially since the summer it's no longer a matter of Split Open and Melt is going to get dark and weird and the lighting rig is going to graze Fishman's head. It's just about how exactly they'll go about doing that. That's just been a sure shot of evil psychedelic energy.
1: Yeah. And I mean, to that point, I feel like the set just flows really well from cool Amber and everything's right. And plasma white, Fading into waiting and then melt, just being this very like dark and ominous ending, it reminded me in a lot of ways. Um, although it was definitely more dynamic, um, it reminded me in a lot of ways of the uh, uh, Gorge Night 3 second set. But just all the song selections were perfect calls, um, though not exactly what people would be anticipating during that set, um, you know similar to kind of what we were saying at the top uh with regards to this show you know you mix bust outs and old songs and segues with these kind of new songs that jam and you do it on december 30th of all nights i mean my personal favorite fish date of the year um a a night that you know just uh Two years earlier, they played Tweezer, Ghost, and Light all in the same set. I mean, it's just—it's a big, big night of fish, and for them to do it surrounded by all these new songs, I just thought it was a really fantastic achievement for them at that point. And I—I I don't see myself ever being able to put that set on and not start with Cool Amber and Mercury and not end with the you Just listen all the way through.
0: Oh, I've done. I've found myself not listening to it all the way through several times, because I can't get enough of that everything's right.
1: <laughs> That's so Let's talk good. about
0: that jam. Man, oh man, right? That is huge. That is Trey and like, classy underwater document underwater documentary mode. That sounds like there's a three-minute segment of that jam where you're just, like, Leonardo DiCaprio and Kate Winslet on the bow of the Titanic, <laughs> just looking off in the space and saying oh my god i'm encased in a wall of sound it was unbelievable psychedelic peaks i mean a lot of people don't necessarily care for the composed version of uh the composed i'm sorry the composed portion of that song i don't mind it i think it's catchy and the chord progression just sounds like the beta bands dry the rain which i can appreciate but it they really have figured out how to jam it extremely well and that could be my favorite version of the song to date i know it has some competition with the one they played this summer uh, in austin um the one from night three to open up uh, chicago is very good kind of like a little brother than this one but it just it got huge
1: yeah i remember i saw back-to-back versions this summer um i think it was the second song Uh, at the Forum and then it opened up set set two in Austin. And um, I remember just watching them go from the Forum version where they were clearly poking and prodding at the exteriors of the song and seeing how if they could find an exit point and then they opened up with it in Austin and it was this 19-minute just blissful peak that I think is the only competing version to this MSG MSG jam. Um, That was... Uh, we we tossed around a lot of ideas for jams to discuss here for this episode from this run, and uh, that was certainly certainly one of them. Um, Plasma had a really sick groove that expanded beyond the general theme of the song. Um, for me, the highlight of the set is the light. Um, this is in line with the seven below in terms of um, just a fascinating example of what post peak jamming does for fish. Uh, it peaks almost immediately seven, eight minutes into the song. And then they just ride out this groove over the next 12 minutes that, uh, it's uh, someone, someone mentioned it on, um, I think it was the jam based review that, um, this is just fish jamming on jamming. (laughs) And I love that idea.
0: If we're talking about some Grateful Dead in this episode, to me, like recent versions of light, almost kind of feel like what they were doing the Dead would do with the song Eyes of the World in the 73 and 74. Whereas after they would play um, the composed, the verses part of Eyes of the World, then they would go into, uh, I guess, what's kind of known as the like King Solomon's Marble Jam, which is a totally different jam. still considered to be Eyes of the World, but different key, different feel. It's that... part. So... You get one song with two very distinct jam sections. That's almost what light has come to be like. In the sense that after they peak it once, it's almost like a second jam with a second set of peaks is almost a foregone conclusion.
1: Absolutely. And I, I love that second section. I mean, that's just, <clears throat> that's what I'm looking for uh, in so many ways from, from Fish Jamming. Um, Waiting perfectly placed, similar to uh, December 30th, 2016. And as we mentioned, uh, Split Open and Melt concludes the best year of 3.0 for the tune. Um, July 22nd, uh, August 8th from Camden, uh, October 19th from uh, uh, Hampton, and November 3rd, which I would say is the best version of the entire year from Las Vegas. Um, but this was definitely up there yeah. as all He's phenomenal like... versions, all worth your time, um, all worth your ears. Um, just... Really, really great stuff. And then you get an excellent four-song encore that proves why a four-song encore can uh, for, can push a show even further into Legendary Space. Um, I think the eternal debate right now is, are you a 1229 or a 1230
0: guy? Initially, I thought I had a little more fun on 1229 just because the I Know You rider style tweezer jam was so goddamn awesome and how that second set was just fire start to finish. But now, on my listening habit since then, I think December 30th actually gives you a bit more meat. So, I'm leaning towards the 30th, whereas I initially thought the 29th. There's nothing not to like about that 29th second set. But I think on 1230, they technically played two second sets. I mean, if you had just showed me that first set on paper and didn't tell me it was a first set or a second set, I would immediately assume it was a second set and a pretty damn good looking one at that.
1: Yeah, I'm eternally I'm a 1230 guy um, and this is, you know, like I said I didn't think that they were going to top 1229 when they did. Um, So I'm I would have been pleased either way. I think we all win. I don't think there's any wrong answer here. I just know uh, 1230 is the kind of fish show that I'm just gonna gnaw on for the next 20 years of my life and never be dissatisfied with Uh Really, really top-notch, excellent show. Um,
0: would say that this is, I don't think anyone would debate this is the best back-to-back 1229 and 1230 since so 1997.
1: I would agree with that. It's
0: that good, and the fact that the doing it in 2018 is even more impressive.
1: Yeah, it's like they just completely realized the importance and significant uh, significance of these two dates. Uh, if you go throughout the years 12, 29 94, 1229 95, 12, 97, 12, 30 97, on and on and on. I could keep listing them into 3.0, uh 12, 30, 93, just for example. I mean, the these are two of the most treasured dates in fish history, and in recent years, it seems that if they don't show up on the 29th, well, they show up on the 30th. If they show up on the 29th; they don't necessarily show up on the 30th. So, um, it was very, very, very cool and rewarding as a fish fan of almost 20 years to, uh, you know, really see the band take ownership of these two dates. I totally agree with you. Yeah, so they gave themselves, as you guys can kind of tell from what we're talking about here, they gave themselves a fighting chance at the best New Year's Eve run since 99 and a top two to four New Year's Eve run of all time. Here they kind of mailed in set one, nailed in a good portion of set three following the... mailed in a good portion of set three following the, um, ma- a, uh, three following the spectacle. And... Uh, Played a killer set, too. What were your thoughts on this overall, Dave?
0: Yeah, that's right. I think New Year's was very good. It was definitely better than December 28th. And I think it may be my favorite spectacle of 3.0. I thought uh, we'll get to that shortly. But certainly the um, the Mercury Auld Lang Syne Say it to Me, Santos. I'll listen to that about seven times. And like you said, the rest of the set is pretty fun and pretty forgettable. But very good set too. And set one, it has some interesting bits kind of in the second half with the play-by-play. I always enjoy seeing the band have a little phone with ass-handed. But... You know, when you open the first set with MoMA Dance, it already kind of lets the air out of the balloon.
1: Yeah, and Stray Dog, it's funny. It's probably my least favorite song from Kesvold Vox. Really kind of fit its uh, placement perfectly between a uh, Dance opener that's like, oh, okay, and then a five-five-five that literally every Fish fan looks at their watch during that. Um, but uh, I will say Choctaw's Torture, it had a really interesting year, um, not its biggest year of 3.0, two big jams off of there or three big jams i should say uh the gorge albany and um vegas but a lot of these like mini kind of weirdly compact but like pushing against the seams with your elbows type of songs um july 27th from the forum august 4th from alpharetta august 12th from meriwether post and this this version never once breaks out of Dust torture but gets pretty damn close to doing so uh, really interesting year for the song this year. I loved how they were keeping it reined in, but also showing that it's been one of the big jam vehicles of 3.0. Um, and then what's the use in to play-by-play? Very thematic pairing here. Um, play-by-play sounds very fitting. It sounds like something off of Remain in Light. And um, the fact that it's coming out of What's the Use, a song that would never have existed in Fisher's repertoire had it not been for stuff like Remain in Light. Um, really, really cool stuff here.
0: I think Houses in Motion is the one song off Remaining in the Light that comes most to mind here, play by play.
1: Totally agree. Totally agree. Um, Set is great. Uh, Down with Disease gets into wheel esque bliss before turning dark, sinister, and groovy. Um, in a year that had, I would say, one excellent full Down with Disease, like big, big, big Down with Disease, uh, August 7th. Certainly, um, as you and I have discussed, uh, July thirty first from Austin can, has has a nod there. Um, this version almost got there, but kind of bailed a few shy of a standout jam. I thought we were about to get a huge down with disease, but right as they were about to go into the post peak jamming, they go into what is arguably a very lovely version of Farmhouse, but Farmhouse.
0: Yeah, don't second set New Year's Farmhouse me.
1: <laughs> um seven below you know how we feel about that and then you get the first new year's eve harry hood since 1998 which is pretty cool in of itself very contemplative uh jam vehicle that nice to kind of take a step back here and think about the last year at that point in time through that song um the wind do a bit of a minor key and passing through in a move that felt a bit too cute to be good uh, they finished The Hood from Silence, which was actually quite cool, but I personally would have liked for these two songs to, been remain, to have remained separate. Yeah,
0: we appreciate the effort to shoehorn almost all the Cosmo box songs in the holiday run. The only one they didn't play was... Um,
1: Everything is Hollow. Right, 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 right,
0: right between my eyes, right. But, yeah, don't do it at the expense of stopping what's otherwise a gorgeous Harry Hood jam. Right. I mean, I like how Passing Through's got the way oh way-o that could very well one day be like a not-fade-away type Grateful Dead chant. But, no, I mean, it was, it was an excellent set. Very, very good set. Just a little weird to stop and start the Harry Hood like that. Yes.
1: Um... And then you get into this set 3. Uh big shout out to Ben Greenfield who predicted this days leading up to New Year's Eve. Uh the spectacle of Mercury Auld Lang sign say it to me Santos. Um for anyone out there who enjoyed the Mercury performance, you're very welcome. Um, if you've been listening <laughs> to the podcast from the beginning, you know that we love Mercury. We have been advocating for this song since the beginnings of our of our podcast. Um, to close out its best year yet, the year that it finally came in the rotation. You know, it's, it's weird to think now because the song is played like every three or four shows. But um, so it was played at the Baker's Dozen and not played again until almost a year later uh, in San Francisco. And since then, San Francisco's version, the Dick's 2018 version... The uh, excellent, excellent version from Rosemont Horizon on October 26th, and then the peak of the song to this point in time—a 25-minute first set jam off of Mercury on November 2nd—just um, phenomenal stuff. And then to cap it off with it being the song of the New Year's ga- or the, of the New Year's with it being the song of the New Year's spectacle—a uh, spectacle I would say is up there with 2013. And 2015 for the best of 3.0 Really special stuff And you are all welcome
0: And if you enjoy Mercury And I know you do I encourage you to go back to Episode 24 That was our interview with Tom Marshall In which I think he and Trey Graciously allowed us to use part of The original demo The song Mercury So yes. some kind of neat synergy for us We were able to do kick off 2018 putting that down and then to see them come out and make it part of the big new spectacle
1: was kind of cool very very cool it was a uh, very very happy to see that song be become what it did here in 2018 as we all knew it could um, the rest of the set can kind of shove it, uh, it joins <laughs> <laughs> it joins 2009 2010 2011 and 2016 As the only New Year's Eve set threes of 3.0 without any jamming. Which is actually pretty shocking just based on the last year. Because there was a lot of jamming here in 2018. Um, You know, I just... uh, I had fun. I had some more beers on my couch. Show ended. I turned on uh, the Frau Show from our Osiris brethren, Jesse Jarno. His Monday evening show on WFNU. And let that take me into... 2019 here in Denver. But uh, what did you think of this third set? Did you have many thoughts?
0: Um, I don't disagree with the fact that after Santos, there wasn't much in the way of jamming, but I'll go on record as saying I don't have a huge issue with them punting set three after what I'd arguably call the best spectacle of 3.0. I think only 2015 comes close. I mean, Trey and Mike were elevated above the stage on pulleys playing their instruments
1: (laughs) that's a good point
0: so (laughs) that can get a little tiring when you're like 53 year old dudes hanging from mid-air in Madison Square Garden trying to play these wireless instruments with um Say It To Me Santos being the huge rocking New Year's Eve song I mean I'm very curious to see what they're gonna do with that song only because I almost can't see the energy levels topping what they do with it on New Year's Eve
1: right, right. I mean,
0: you know it has all the makings of like an amazing second set opener but I mean am I gonna am I going to listen to the set past Santos? Probably not very much but you know I'm sure that speedy versions of joyous fish like saw it again limb by limb and Susie Greenberg were fun if you were there but I just think they got a bit tired which they're allowed. It was way past their bedtime, and they're hanging above the stage on pulleys. (laughs) And with that image fresh in your mind, let us uh, now listen to one of the jams we talked about being um, the very Grateful Dead-influenced version of Tweezer from December 29th, 2018. Now, we're going to do something that we haven't done before on Beyond the Pond and might not do too many times in the distant future. Consider this to be our Virginia Beach 1998 moment because we're going to talk about the Grateful Dead. I know you say that. We say that. We try not to talk about other jam men's on this podcast. But I think as is, is the dead is concerned in this segment of shows we can make an exception to that rule so in the first segment i'm actually going to talk about two of my favorite versions of uh, china cat sunflower into i know you rider in tribute to the version of tweezer that we just listened to so the first show i'm going to talk about is actually may 19th, 1974 from portland oregon This is an absolutely classic 1974 show from the wall of sound era. You can uh, find it in full, of course, at archive.org. And a too small portion was just released as part of the, I believe, if you need it, 73, 74 Pacific Northwest box set, which is awesome in its own right. I know you can either purchase it or find it in full on uh, Spotify. So, 1974, China Riders often had a little extra in the transition jam. It was kind of a play on the chords and melody of the Simon and Garfunkel song, the 59th Street Bridge song, parentheses, Feeling Groovy. And this version of China Rider absolutely has that. It kind of rocks out pretty hard in its own right. 1974 shows had lots of songs, Lots of stuff from the Mars Hotel album that was actually one month away from being released at this point, and lots of them had epic jams on Shruckin'. So this show has all of that, plus the off-derided Bob Weir, John Perry Barlow, Nugget Money Money, which I'm not sure was ever played after 1974 because it was kind of lame and kind of misogynist. But uh, you get to hear that song at this show. So, I mean, if you're interested, in 1974, this show is uh, almost as good as you can get from that era. And the second one I'm going to discuss, three years down the line, December 29, 1977, from Winterland Arena in San Francisco. So this show was basically released as Dix Picks 10, and 42 years to the date of the show that we are talking about, often referred to by reverential deadheads as The Nine. And I say it's basically Dick's Picks 10 because uh, for some reason, Dick's Picks 10 omits the versions of There Must Have Been the Roses in the uh, Donna Showcase uh, sunrise towards the beginning of the second set. And actually, the last four songs on this are taken from the next night. So we all know how good The Grateful Dead were in 1977, yet sometimes we forget just how goddamn good they were in 77. This show is all flexing. The jack straw simply explodes out of the gate. There's a 14-minute sugary, which it feels like the entire band is about to topple over. It's like the perfect mix of seat-of-the-pants improvisation with the big room rock and roll majesty, uh, rock and roll mastery. And then, of course, in set two... There's the wizardry of the almost palindromic playing in the band into China Cat Sunflower, into I Know You Rider, into China Doll, and then back into playing. It's the first China Rider in three years and an absolute bullet train of aversion. I mean, some people say, I don't know who, but some people say that the dead couldn't ever quite rev it up like they wanted to, and that's... Not only is that simply wrong, but I mean, not even like classic Leonard Skinner rocks as hard as his version of China Cat Sunflower. I mean, this action, uh, China Cat Sunflower into I Know You, Rider. I mean, I think the tweezer jam that we just played off in 1229 is probably maybe the most reminiscent of this China Rider jam in particular just because of the uh, sheer brute force that it's played with. So now for basis of comparison, uh, we're going to play segments in both of those. So we're going to hear uh, China Riders from um, May 19th, 1974, and then December 29th, 1977.
1: I hope that everyone is feeling 10 feet off the ground, just riding into sunny Colorado, just absolutely blazing after listening to those two back-to-back versions of China rider. Um, taking a quick break here from the fish and the dead. We're going to talk about some new albums. These are albums that have not yet been released. These are upcoming new releases. We have, um, an onslaught of new albums that are coming out that we are very excited about in the first two months of 2019. Uh, Careful listeners might remember that I was petitioning in our top albums of 2018 episode for new releases to stop at the end of or in middle of November because there always seemed to be a gap. uh, If new albums come out towards the end of the year, the first month or so of the next year always tends to be a little bit light on big releases not so in 2019 every band that we uh or seemingly every band we love is trying to submit their final statement for top albums of the decade so we're going to talk just uh, briefly about a couple of these in case you guys are not aware of them we've got release dates to anticipate for these so first up um, one of our favorite bands deer hunter will be releasing why hasn't everything already disappeared on january 18th off of the 4ad label this is their First record in almost four years, Uh, 2015's Fading Frontier of Note. That was my favorite record of that year. Uh, They did release a record last spring, but it was only sold as a cassette at live shows. Alas, we have not heard it. Um, And Element, the first single sounds like a fusion between Halcyon Digest Experimentations and Fading Frontier's kind of warm, homey, uh, mid-30s-ness, as close as you can get to that from Bradford Cox. Uh, Bradford Cox uh, has said this record is going to be naughty. It's going to focus on current sociological issues, which, um, hey, we do a little bit of that here at uh, Beyond the Pond as well. Yeah. (laughs) Do we ever. Um, (laughs) We've got William Tyler's Go West coming out on January 25th. That's off of Merge. Um, This is his fourth record and his follow-up to 2016's phenomenal modern country. Uh, We've heard the song Call Me When I'm Breathing Again, which is really contemplative and very warm, much like we expect from Tyler. This is supposed to be a bit of a cinematic release, so we're very excited about this as well as Deer Hunter, aren't we?
0: Yeah, I would certainly say William Tyler is one of those artists who – he's a service dog artist – He immediately helps my pulse, Yes, lowers my pulse, eases my mind. It's impossible to have enough soothing, awesome instrumental William Tyler music. So, yeah, I'm very much looking forward to that and the Deer Hunter record.
1: Yes. And then we've got Panda Bear uh, is releasing uh, a record on February 8th. I'm totally sure about the pronunciation. Bayus?
0: I don't know. It's Panda Bear. (laughs)
1: this is going off of domino uh it's his official follow-up to his 2015 record panda bear meets a Grim reaper um i had a bit of a falling out with that record much like my relationship with the larger animal collective project since 2012 but based on the single dolphin this feels way more like 2011's tomboy than grim reaper and uh it's really it's an every four year thing for um uh panda bear coming to spring every four years you can expect an album from him going back to person pitch in 2011 tomboy in 20 or excuse me person pitch in 2007 tomboy in 2011 and um uh grim reaper in 2015 um and you know if this new track which is really nice is any indication uh could be where indie rock uh, from at least from a psych experimentation standpoint goes in the next half decade on uh, February 8th as well, we've got Cass McCombs' Tip of the Spear off of Anti. Um, this is his first release since 2016's Very sleepy grower, uh, "Manji Love, which featured an appearance from Mike Gordon. Uh, Cass finally, found, finally sounds like he's found a formula. The two lead singles, Sleeping Volcanoes and Estrella, are the least different lead singles to any of his records ever. Uh, He has really changed things up from um, uh, Dropping the Rit to Catacombs to um, Wit's End and uh, Big Wheel and then Manju Love. And this really sounds like its former record uh, in a very uh, uh, kind of just thematic way. uh, It it sounds like he's he's in a good space right now. Wit's End is still one of the best records of the 2010s for me. Um, And I'm just really hoping that he can produce another classic after eight years of somewhat subdued experimentation.
0: Vampire Weekend. Mitsubishi Macchiato is the working title. Now I'm starting to worry that the new Vampire Weekend, it's getting an air of sort of like a D'Angelo record or Chinese democracy in that it's supposedly mixed and recorded, and it has been, and the label has said it's going to be everyone's favorite record of 2019, but there's no set release date for it.
1: There's no set release date for it. The the one thing that I think has to be encouraging is this is their major label debut. It's, it's off of Columbia. You've got to imagine there's money and pressure backing it that it's going to come out here soon but yeah, we've been talking about a new vampire weekend record since the summer of 2017. <laughs> so, um, you know, they really, they- i
0: mean, it's just going to be like 45 minutes of pop music. Like, come right. On. Right.
1: I, I mean, I certainly hope that, you know, they, they, they had to have gone through some sort of a transmit transition after Rostam left, but you know, Vampire Weekend Contra and um, Modern Vampires of the City were kind of boom boom boom, every couple of years those came out. So we're going to be six years since Modern Vampires of the City came out. Um, I hope that it's great, um, and uh, I, I know that we will be talking about it certainly one way or the other. Uh, I think we can both attest to that.
0: Absolutely. That will actually that could result in one of our first impressions episodes where we only talk about that album. That, Noted. Seems, that seems ripe for that When that comes out So some things I'm looking forward to uh, January 18th Which I think will be the Friday Right after this podcast goes live Steve Gunn The Unseen In Between Which comes out on Matador You know we like Steve Gunn uh, The three singles that he's released Off the album at this point Have all been excellent uh, Especially the song Vagabond Which has him doing a harmony duet with Meg Baird, who actually put out an incredible album earlier this year with, uh, with Mary Lattimore on a harp. Yes. And she yes. also sings lead vocals in the crazy psych rock band Heron Oblivion. And Gunn's a fantastic guy. He just uh, is a very soothing kind of like Lou Reed, Thurston Moore voice. He's a phenomenal guitar player. I have no reason to think that his new record won't easily make it into my Sunday morning rotation like his last two records did. Come say hi to me at the February 1st, 2019 Bowery Barroom Show in New York, which also has Meg Baird and Mary Latimer opening. I'm assuming they'll be part of the show as well. That should be... uh,
1: That's an amazing bill. Yeah. Holy
0: crap. It's going to be... A mellow psych rock tour de force, as the kids say.
1: What is uh what is the duo that Steve Gunn's in as well?
0: Um the Gunn Trasinski duo. I'm not sure that's how to pronounce it. That's his drummer.
1: Yeah, it's him and um uh it's the two of them, and it's Steve Gunn's so fascinating. His solo stuff and and the stuff he puts out on records um is very much like seventies singer-songwriter with just killer guitar solos um i absolutely love it but this stuff he does with traczynski i'm blanking on his first name i apologize but it's very psychedelic very long jams um yeah so out
0: like three lobed i think different label than matador
1: yes you can find a lot of their live stuff on the nyc taper uh site that i would just recommend digging into their um fantastic fantastic live shows um Yeah. But he's, he's amazing. I'm, I'm super stoked for that record. So
0: also coming out on January 18th, my goodness, it's shaping out to be a quite a date is uh, the new one from Sharon, Sharon Van Etten. Remind me tomorrow. And I know this album will rule because Sharon Van Etten rules. Uh, The first single comeback kid was actually built on a big kind of like disco-y synth hook. And it seemed to be more synthesizers this time out. And, uh, in the time since her last record, which I think was um, 2014's Tramp. Uh, no, it was, it was. Are we there?
1: Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Tramp was 2012.
0: Yeah, I think 20. Yeah, I think it was 2014. That's the one that's got um, your love is killing me among other really awesome songs on it. Uh, yeah, in that time, I mean, there's actually recently a very interesting New York Times article. It says like what she's been up to. She uh, went back to college to get a degree. She did some acting on uh, the Netflix sci-fi show, The OA. She had a son. So she's uh, she has not been idle. But certainly, it's very good that she has another record coming out because everything she's put out to this point has been fantastic. I actually saw her um at one of the recent Yola Tango holiday shows. She came out during the encore to sing The Ramones because that's... Oh, what- cool. What Yola Tenga does at holiday shows, they use Sharon Venette and the scene in the Ramones.
1: I saw her open up for the National here at Red Rocks, and she actually named her son Denver because she met her husband out here. Uh, she I didn't even know a, that. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I my only live experience with her was at Pitchfork twenty ten when she was quite new on the scene, quite young, and quite quiet. Uh, live And it was um, not the most uplifting, but somewhat of a nice kind of sit down with a beer in the hot sun, listen to her play really quiet, soft, contemplative folk songs. I was not expecting at all what I got when she opened up for the national. She was unbelievable, blew me away. And um, she played comeback kid there. Uh, it sounded excellent live and just really, really excited for this record too. Let's
0: see. February 8th. Bob Mould, elder statesman, great solo career, great in Sugar, great in Husker du, has a new solo record coming out called Sunshine Rock. And most of Bob Mould's recent solo albums have all been pretty damn good, kind of given you know the big melodic rock thrust, a wall of sound that we expect from Bob Mould. I'm thinking this will be no different. Uh, the live show, which he plays his own stuff in addition to classics from Husker Du and Sugar, Still totally owns, so looking forward to that. And uh, briefly, uh, today we found out that I think Ryan Adams is actually going to try to put out three records in 2019, which I don't think we'd have a problem. All for it. Yep, all for it. Totally on board. And also, there was a photo tweeted today of St. Vincent, Andy Clark, sitting in front of all three members of Slater-Kinney, suggesting that St. Vincent produced the forthcoming Slater-Kinney record, which kind of made my heart skip a beat when I saw it. I had palpitations. I think uh, maybe the most I've anticipated an album in ever?
1: Yeah, ever. (laughs) (laughs) Don't fuck it up, guys. Yeah, almost uh, you you struggle. It's kind of the... Um, debate I had before A Deeper Understanding came out, where I was like, do I really want to know what this sounds like? <laughs> it turned out to be good, so I hope I hope you get a deeper understanding to your love for St. Vincent and slater Kenny. I know they're two of your favorites.
0: No pressure, ladies. No pressure. <laughs> on that note, let's actually listen to the version of Seven Below that Fish played on uh, December 31st. 2019, 2018, sorry.
1: So what we just heard there was kind of that opening bliss jam segment of 7 Below, which as we mentioned when we were talking about the uh, 1230, 1231 show there at the top, um, really, really reminded me of the just segment of guitar playing from Trey from the Ghost from December 30th, 2016, one of my favorite jams I've ever seen live. That version really made me think of The Wheel. This version really made me think of The Wheel, even though it's in a different key. So as Dave got to play some China Rider following the tweezer, I'm going to play some Wheel. Probably my favorite Grateful Dead song, probably my favorite moment in any Grateful Dead tape that I listen to is when The Wheel comes out of space. It just makes me feel at peace and like everything is – Right with the world, it's contemplative, somewhat sad. It's heartwarming at the same time. It just, I love it so much. It's probably my favorite. When you hear Jerry do that slide up to the boom boom boom, 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 I just, my heart just kind of skips a little bit. So, I dug a little bit around. Um I am not as prolific in Grateful Dead history as I am in Fish history, so I apologize if I'm throwing out. Two of the biggest versions right now, but I had not I, I'd not been super familiar with these before this episode, I will be honest. So this was a huge, uh, really fun moment for me to discover these. I wanted to find two versions in particular that really showcase the intro to the song before the chorus comes in. So the first one is uh, Indianapolis, Indiana from December 5th, 1981, which is a really excellent and energetic show towards the end of 1981. It's got a great CC rider up front. A Cumberland uh, blues and a uh, Passenger um, bird song still played somewhat upbeat rather than its uh, late eighties early nineties pace. A really fantastic shakedown just kicks off set two. It's a great second set overall. Uh, Playing features some really remarkable Jerry Leeds, and then a wild drum and space before you get into the wheel. And this just features a very extended, and gorgeous intro. And it's really what makes the versions so so special. It's like two and a half, three minutes of just introduction before they ever start the chorus. Um, And of note, I was reading around um, uh, reviews of this show. According to someone in attendance at the show, Market Square Arena in Indianapolis uh, brought in football players from Indiana University just about an hour down the road for security. And uh, they refused to allow dancing, (laughs) which is – uh just massive bullshit.
0: Who <laughs> was the early 80s footloose? Right.
1: right. <laughs> um Indiana. Yeah, not exactly dead country, although we know that there are a lot of dead fans in that area. And Bloomington itself, I mean it's a uh, quite a quite a liberal town. I used to go there a lot in college yeah. high school. Um but then fast forward 9 years to uh Hartford, Connecticut, March 18th, 1990, the day before my 5th birthday. The wheel comes here late second set out of space, which, like I said, it's probably my favorite thing the Dead have ever, ever done is that wheel coming out of space. Um, you add into it, it's a spring nineteen ninety show, during what may be the last bed, last best Dead tour ever, and it's just super special. Uh, you get a little bit of a longish intro with Brent and Jerry shining in dual licks, and the show overall has just got a great set list shakedown opener set two has he's gone the wheel and morning dew all in it uh it's very contemplative set two for the dead that's my jam i love that sort of stuff um and it's just a fantastic version i love this have you have you heard these you know i actually had to
0: sit down with march 18th 1990 because i am very familiar with the next night march 19 1990 which is one of my earliest dead tapes I acquired and it has awesome second set version of foolish heart box of rain opener that's I mean, that's one of my favorite second sets in spring 90 for some reason 318 kind of passed me by but I know I should do something about that I mean I should probably I know many of these spring 90 shows are available in um, various like the spring 1990 box set and various other versions are all over the archive but uh yeah, I need to listen to March 18th, while also highly recommending March 19th. And also, because this was the Harpett Civic Center in 1990, these shows were played basically inside of a shopping mall because uh, Harpett Civic Center is about 35 minutes from my childhood home. And, uh, yeah, the arena really was in a shopping mall. The arena is still there. It's called the XL Center. The shopping mall is no longer there. But, man, I saw, like... Ice Capades, Disney on Ice, so many things at the Harvard Civic Center, in addition to Bon Jovi in 1992 and some fantastic fish shows. Never saw the dead, though, sadly.
1: Let's give you guys some back-to-back contemplative wheel intros here from December 5th, 1981 and March 18th, 1990. Thank you for hanging out with us here in our first episode of 2019. We celebrated what I think we're all in agreement of was a fantastic fish um, New Year's Eve run at Madison Square Garden to close out 2018. So we talked about the tweezer from 1229, 2018, and the seven below from 1231, 2018. And to do so, we got a little help from our friends we played China Rider, two versions, uh, May 19th, 74 and December 29th, 77, uh, to cap off the tweezer jam, uh, as well as The Wheel, December 5th, 81 and March 18th, 1990. Jonathan Hart of Broke Down Pod, we hope that we did you well here by playing some dead. Um, don't mean to step on anybody toes, of course. <laughs> but uh don't worry
0: not the norm. we'll go back to uh talking smack about every other jam band
1: <laughs> exactly. next time. Uh, we also gave you guys a bunch of new album recommendations i'm not going to list them here you'll, you'll see them in the uh in the notes section but um if you have any questions about those records um pay attention to some future beyond the pond episodes because i'm sure that some of these will be featured
0: oh yeah just a reminder you can find us on social media uh, Twitter at underscore beyond the pond, Simplecast page beyond the pond dot fm, and on Spotify, our uh, master Spotify playlist, which we're we'll probably going to divvy up soon, just because it's getting kind of unwieldy. It's uh, Beyond the Pond podcast songs. We try to uh, feature as many songs as possible that are available in the show in that uh, in that playlist. Check out the other excellent podcasts of the Osiris Network at osirispod.com, O-S-I-R-I-S, pod.com. Leave us a review on iTunes. It helps increase our visibility in Apple world, and sometimes we go back and read
1: them because we're vain. Absolutely. And uh, from a publishing structure standpoint, so uh, full disclosure – Uh, We don't know exactly what it is because we're recording a ton of episodes in the next few weeks. Um, We've got some really special stuff here going for you guys in the first quarter of 2019. Uh, Some really cool interviews that are going to be going live. um, Some great conversations as well as some traditional jams that we are starting to plan out here. Um, Still keep an eye out for us every other Tuesday. Tuesdays have no feel, but uh, don't be surprised if there's kind of a special episode dropped here and there maybe in some of the weeks in between. We're going to try to come at you guys pretty hard uh, in early 2019. Got a lot of good stuff, and um, we have something really fun cooking up that's going to be starting to unveil itself in March. So um, we'll kind of make an announcement towards that as we get closer to that period in time. But um, we've got a really, really, really fun year ahead, don't we?
0: Yeah, quite an interesting year ahead of us for sure. It's getting late here on the East Coast. Starting to stumble over my words. Which is why, at this point, it's time for a wrap-up. And if you've made it this far in the episode, we thank you. You know this one might have been a bit long, but we figured we had a lot to cover. It feels good to be back. We'll certainly come back next Tuesday, or uh, perhaps a Tuesday after that. We still have to figure out when things are coming out. We will hold hands... We will say kumbaya. We will probably not talk about the Grateful Dead too, too much. And we will go beyond the pond.